0: Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a Primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This program is brought to you weekly by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. Stay tuned for today's message.
1: We are black.
2: so much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. And again, I'm Joe Nettles, and I'm turned in my King James translation to Luke chapter 1. And we'd like to bring for you today some thoughts on the doxology of Mary recorded in Luke chapter 1. During the season when we especially focus our attentions on the advent of Jesus Christ into the world... We look at the character and the person of Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, who had a very singular experience among all of mankind, because not only she, as a born-again child of Christ, had Christ in her heart, she also carried Christ in her womb, and she raised Christ in her home. And so she had experience and closeness with the Savior that is, again, just absolutely singular. Among all of humanity. And so we begin in Luke chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 39 to set the context. Here, Mary is coming to visit her cousin Elizabeth, Elizabeth, who uh, has been large with child with the promised John the Baptist. And so in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, we read, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. And entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. Again, Elizabeth was her cousin. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. This is John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth, his mother. He leapt with joy in her womb. Again, uh, other place in the scripture, we've been told that this was a power of the Holy Ghost in the unborn child, John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Notice there, Elizabeth declares Mary as the mother of my Lord. So she knows that the child that is within the womb of Mary is holy, is righteous. And is the Messiah, the mother of my Lord, should come unto me. Verse 44, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Notice the term, my Lord, in verse 43. And the Lord, we read in verse 45, those words, Lord, are the same and they're in the same context. So Elizabeth here is owning and declaring that the very child that was in the womb, and in an embryonic stage, as, you, as it will, in the womb of Mary, is the exact same Lord that promised her a performance of all of these things. Notice, my friends, that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is God, He is Lord. And Elizabeth was declaring as such. And on the heels of this wonderful declaration, here we see the doxology of Mary. Now, what's a doxology? A doxology is, uh, it's a praise. It's extolling the virtue, the glory of the Lord. It is an expression we see in the writers of scripture that magnifies the Lord. It's almost like a, a spontaneous outburst uh, almost out of context, there you have this wonderful exclamation of praise to the Lord. It's like singing in praise to the Lord that has just spontaneously arisen from the midst of the context of what is being spoken. And here Mary is going to cry out and extol glory to her Lord. In Luke chapter one, verse 46, it says, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. That word magnify means to enlarge, as it were, to to, uh, make larger, more magnanimous. Well, my friends, the Lord was magnified here. When she says, my soul doth magnify the Lord, notice the setting of this magnification of the Lord. Now, again, you can't make God any bigger than he is. We're not talking about making God bigger than he is. We are uh, talking about ascribing to him the the right uh, greatness of his being and his essence. See the Lord was magnified here in the setting of praise and belief. Here Mary speak uh, being spoken to by Elizabeth. Elizabeth declared without a shadow of a doubt that the the same Lord that created the universe was the same uh embryonic being that was in the womb of her cousin Mary. There was great trust and belief in the promises of the Lord here. And so rightly said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Mary believed these promises. She believed in this Lord and she believed in the power of the sweet and precious child that she had been blessed with in the womb, conceived in her womb by the power of the Holy Ghost, and I want you to understand, my friends, uh, when you uh, that term magnify, that makes us think of a magnifying glass, right? It would be wonderful if all the time uh, see I could see the Lord as He truly is, just as as regularly as I wear my eyeglasses. But the problem is, in my human nature, I'm unable to do that as I ought. While I'm here in this flesh this this uh, veil of of sinful flesh hung around me uh, i am unable to see the lord as high and holy and harmless and undefiled and beautiful and right and eternal and glorious as he is but there are times in our lives when we need to see something more closely, we break out a special tool, and that is a magnifying glass. Well, friends, are those times when we're able to see the Lord more clearly for who he is? Oh, we can't experience it all the time. We'd take it for granted. I would to God that we could, but we should strive to see it more. Amen. We should strive to praise him and trust him more. Because in those times when we do that, those are very precious, cherishing times where we look and see the Lord more high and lifted up and glorious than we've been able to see him more recently. Oh, friends, let us magnify the Lord in our souls and spirits by trusting him and believing his promises. That was the context of this wonderful doxology. In Luke chapter one, verse 47, the next verse, And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my savior. You know, there's a great number of people claiming Christ who say that Mary never sinned and that Mary was translated to heaven basically upon her own merits, that she did not need the merit of uh, Jesus Christ who came forth from her womb. But here you would never know that from Mary's own exclamation that she hath rejoiced in God my savior. Now, if Mary was perfect and sinless, if Mary was worth praying to, okay, then my friends, she would need a savior. But here Mary plainly exclaimed, I need a savior. Why does somebody need a savior? Because they're a sinner and they need to be saved by the blood of Christ. Mary's spirit rejoiced in her savior because she knew she needed salvation. And this her spirit knew right well. And you know, friends, I will tell you the spirit of God beareth witness with us that we're the children of God. Her spirit uh, rejoiced in God, her savior. And how is it that you and I can rejoice that God is our savior, that he is our only hope of everlasting life? Well, in Romans chapter eight, verse 16, we read the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Friends, I'll tell you, when you see Jesus Christ and you hear the truth of Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that it pertains to you, that you're a sinner and without his salvation and his grace, not only would you not see salvation, you wouldn't even perceive at this point that you even needed salvation. You see, that is the capitalist spirit of God witnessing to your inner man, your inner being. That you are a child of God. Praise God. Isn't it wonderful when God communicates directly to you in you? Oh, that's a wonderful thing. Now, what did she go on to say here next in verse 48? She's declared, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaid. When we talk about typically something being a low estate, that's not good. That means it's debased. It's, it's kind of worthless, a low estate. So said, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. Here she's saying that all generations are going to call me blessed, but yet in the same expression, she's saying uh, that I'm in a low estate. How in the world could that be? It can be by God's grace. Friends, only God's grace can undo what sin has done to us. Uh, only God's grace can undo what the world relegates us to. The world, uh, friends, has, uh, would lead us astray and soil us and sully us. The sin within us has uh, you know, cast us into condemnation. But I will tell you, God's grace undoes that. He's able to undo what sin has done to us. He's able to fix and to bring us out of that woeful place that the world has relegated us to and what a doomed future has in store for us he is able to overcome and to give us, my friends, an expected glorious end. Notice in Romans chapter 9, verses 25 through 26, the declaration of the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. As he saith also in Osi, which means Hosea, the book of Hosea, the Old Testament uh Writing of Hosea, as he saith also in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, and by context hes saying, and I will call her beloved, which was not beloved here here Hosea prophesying by the spirit of God, and Paul here reiterating this, is saying. Even though the world would see total defeat and destruction and worthlessness, yet just because God has declared it, God has proclaimed it, it will be in spite of the reality of the situation. Verse 26, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people. What does God have to say about it? There shall they be called the children of the living God. See, that's all by God's grace. We're not worthy of that. But I'm gonna tell you when he declares it, As in Ezekiel chapter 16, when God came upon that child that was in his blood, unsalted, unswaddled, and cast out dead, the Lord declared unto that baby, live. You see, that's the hope any of us have. It's the only hope Mary had. Oh, he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Why? Because God has called her blessed. Amen. Amen. Now, let's read verses 49 through 50 as we continue on in this doxology of Mary from Luke chapter 1. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Notice that. She said, he that is mighty. He is essentially the Almighty has done to me great things. Here, this is a woman who just said in the previous verse, I'm of a low estate. But yet after the Lord has condescended and done this for her, she still declares and holy is his name. In essence here, Mary declares the condescension of God. What does that mean? That means the one uh coming from their elevated state and stepping down or bending down or or stooping, as it were, to hear or to help one that is less powerful and less able. Mary declares, in essence, the condescension of God while also pointing out the necessary conformity to Christ's image. Now, what am I talking about? Well, if God condescended to us, if God, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and higher than the heavens was to come down to a sin-cursed earth and intermeddle himself and intervene in the lives of sin-cursed people, how is it that that God would not be, even if it were just by association, sullied by that uh, relationship, that fellowship, that association? But see, my friends. Though he involves and commits himself to lowly men like we are, yet he hasn't sullied himself. Why? Because in his view, we are as his son. As the father sees us, he sees us through the imputed righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. This is alluded to in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Uh, The very essence of what's being spoken here in Hebrews 2, 10 through 11 is the very reason why she said that even though he that is mighty hath done great things to a lowly worm like me, but yet holy is his name still. He is not polluted. He is not unrighteous. He is not unworthy, even though he's condescended to this low land of sin and sorrow in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, notice Hebrews 2, 10 through 11. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. Oh, what a, a mighty state that is. Uh, it became him for whom are all things. That means he, he owns the cattle of a thousand hills. And by whom are all things? By him, the word of God was everything made that was made. And what became him who is so great? It said, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified. Who's he talking about? They who are sanctified, anybody who'll live in heaven. Old Testament, New Testament, young, old, rich, poor, white, black, doesn't matter. All who will live in glory. All those who are sanctified. He says here in this blessed declaration that they are as one with the one who did the sanctifying. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of One, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Have you ever been humbled by the thought that God Almighty in the person of Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call you little trusting believer, you who's been uh, you know, cast aside by this world, you who in your past has been ravaged by sin, but yet you've come to see with a broken heart that the Lord is your only hope for salvation. Oh, my friends, you are at one with him. You, my friends... He is not ashamed to call you brother. I'm going to tell you what, if that don't make you happy, nothing can, my friends. And here she goes on in verse 51. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. What really catches my mind there is not only is he showing strength, But it's also coupled together with putting down the imagination of the hearts of the wicked. That word imagination carries with the idea of cognitive things, rational things, things that are thought, conceived things, conceptions, conceptual matters. You know, God has thrown down the pride of men's minds. Oh, they're so high and lifted up in their own thoughts about themselves. But he has been able to throw them down. Why? Because he in himself is the truth. He is holy. He is high. And by comparison, we are nothing. He has ruined the inventions of the wicked against his people and has shown as foolish all the imaginings of sinners who've ever dared try to come against him. Notice the wording in Isaiah chapter 44, verses 24 through 26. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Notice this now, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad, that turneth wise men backwards, and maketh their knowledge foolish, that confirmeth the word of his servant, and performeth the counsel of his messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. He was stating this in a context of a time when people say Jerusalem is utterly destroyed and there's no hope for her future. But yet, because God had determined a future for Jerusalem, he said, I have uh, made mad all these diviners. I have uh, thrown their foolishness aside, what they called wisdom. I've torn it down and shown it as nothing but foolishness. Oh, so much more could be said. Let's go on to verse 52. He hath put down the mighty... In the Greek, that is dunastes, which means a potentate or a ruler, okay? Someone with authority, someone who uh, maintains legality in a society. He hath put down the mighty from their seats. That word seats means literally thrones. So what's under consideration here? He's talking about kings, rulers, those who are in legal authority, And he says, and exalted them of low degree. How is it, my friends, that God could legally put down legal potentates from off of right thrones, established thrones, but yet exalt one of a low degree and set them on that throne in the place? Somebody may say that's not legal. That's not right. That's just nothing but pure rebellion. Well, friends, let me tell you something. What's being alluded to here by Mary in this declaration of praise to the Lord is that what he has done for his elect family has been performed legally. That means every legal charge levied against them was brought to naught, and all of the foolish pride of those who would exalt themselves on thrones of men have been torn down, and now, little lowly saints of God, we're declared in the word of God as kings and priests unto God. And ruling upon the earth. See, what the Lord has done for his elect has been performed legally. No accusation can be levied against us by man, uh, by Satan, or even by the righteous holy law of God. Why? Because God would not brush anything under the rug. All of sin had to be paid for. Okay? The righteous decree had to be satisfied. This is alluded to in Exodus 34, verses 6-7, through when we see this declaration of the Lord regarding himself. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, somebody may say, that sounds great. God is just a big Santa Claus. He's just going to overlook all of our transgressions, our sins. He's just going to give us mercy and uh, nothing untoward uh, will happen because he's just a good old Santa Claus of a God. Don't you relegate our God to the status of a Santa Claus or some wishy-washy grandpa whose uh, grandchildren have him wrapped around their finger. No, our God is holy and right and just as he. He said, though he he keeps mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but he also says, and that will by no means clear the guilty. You see, Our God is God of mercy and of love, but don't you ever, ever, ever forget that he's a God of justice. I'm here to tell you, my friends, salvation for the elect family of God, it came free to us, but it came at a great cost of the judgment of the holy law of God being poured out upon the head of the precious lamb of God who took away the sins of the world for God's elect. In Luke chapter 1, verse 53, she goes on and says, He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent uh, empty away. Notice here Mary speaks not only of sustenance, but also of experience. Jesus spoke of the same in John 6, 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I thank God that not only when it comes to eternal matters, he'll not leave us destitute. He'll not leave us hungry. No, he promised my friends in his sermon on the mount that whosoever uh, hungers and thirsts after righteousness, they shall be filled. That is a definite article. They shall be filled. Why? He said, he that cometh to me, he'll never hunger. He that believeth on me, Shall never thirst. So not only is he sustaining us eternally, I thank God, my friends, he's also giving us an experience of that while we live here. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. You see, my friends, our belly can be filled with spiritual things, but when they are filled with spiritual things, when we do have those times, when we see the Lord high and holy and ourselves for what we are, when we, as John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease, I'm here to tell you, my friends, you're not only filled with uh, eternal, wonderful spiritual things, that is God giving you an experience called faith, whereby he attests to you, gives you an experience that all these things are true, and they are for you. And we close these remarks from verses 54 and 55 of this wonderful declaration of praise to the Lord that was in the womb of the mother by the mother. He hath opened, that means helped, his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. How does she close this? Mary points out that all of this blessedness has been promised unto and will be effectually applied unto a covenant people. By looking at Abraham and Israel, you're seeing a covenant people. You see, this has all been done for a covenant. Now, this is accidental. I'll tell you, my friends, if you've heard the preaching of the gospel and you believed it and you confessed your Lord Jesus Christ, there wasn't anything accidental or happenstance about that. No, there was no way you could have said that Jesus was the Christ, but by the Holy Ghost, according to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and 3. See, there was method behind what the world calls madness. There was cause behind that effect. You see, when you came to believe in the Lord... It didn't make you his child. It revealed you to be his child. That's what Paul was declaring in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. He said, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, somebody may say, well, see, there you go. You've got to exercise faith in Christ Jesus before you can be his child. Notice there he's speaking in a manifest sense. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. He's saying there that by faith, you are manifesting yourself to be a child of God. You are showing yourself to be what you truly are. Now, somebody may say, well, you're resting the scriptures. No. Again, let's take it in context. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For because as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the promise. Abraham is our father of faith. How do you manifest yourself? How do you be a child of Abraham? By believing in Jesus Christ, according to the New Testament scriptures. You are walking in the steps of faithful Abraham. Abraham. But by doing that, my friends, you're not becoming Christ's. No, it just manifests that you already are Jesus Christ's child. Notice the order of verse 29. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It does not read, and if ye be Abraham's seed, then you'll be Christ's. No, that's what the religious world of Christendom mostly teaches today. But, friends, I want you to understand, again, there is great eternal power being manifested in you in believing in Jesus Christ, in believing and rejoicing in these things today. My friends, Jesus Christ is as much in you eternally as he was in Mary in this day in which she extolled these wonderful, wonderful words in praise to the child Jesus that was yet to be born. Oh, my friends, uh, let's praise the Lord for his goodness and his grace. Let's extol him. Let's let's burst out forth in doxologies continually in our lives, praising him for he truly is worthy. Oh, until we're able to speak with you again, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ bless you all greatly.
0: If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist church in your area. Visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com to search for a Primitive Baptist church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find additional contact information. This program is also available on iTunes under Podcasts with the title The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Baptist radio broadcast. If you enjoy our program, send us an email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 And tune in next week for another message from The Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray that God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord.